Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. We are joined by Leonardo Bonani. Leonardo, thank you so much for joining us on Future of XYZ today. Thanks for having me. Well, it's really exciting. We're going to be talking about the future of sustainable supply chains. And you have deep expertise in this. Uh, you, in 2011, founded SourceMap. Uh, which is really, I think, and I'll let you speak to it, but a, a, a SaaS enterprise, enterprise, you know, data company that's really implementing software that helps people kind of see end to end their supply chain. I mean, and all the various issues that potentially could be in there. Um, I think that as we think about the future of sustainable supply chains, there are more elements than the average person could possibly conceive of. And I want to get into that because when we go to the shelf or when we look at what we're purchasing or what we're wearing or what we're eating or anything else, I think we really need to be thinking about what it is exactly that we're buying. And I think your software and your, your, your company is really helping educate uh, both companies as well as consumers. I, I couldn't have said it better. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I started SourceMap basically to uh, you know, elevate uh, supply chains to another level of, of sustainability. And, and, you know, there's two sides of what we do. I mean, one is help consumers absolutely be, be informed about the products, the brands that they buy uh, from and uh, know what kinds of environmental social standards those brands are upholding. Uh, and the other side, it's really the, the bread and butter of what we do is, is actually helping these brands, these manufacturers implement Know, responsible uh, practices across their supply chains uh, all the way down to the raw materials. And I think that that's the biggest uh, thing that characterizes source map and our approach is this end-to-end -end that you mentioned, which is to say, you know, it's not enough to just look at is the packaging recycled, is the product organic. You really have to know that at every stage of the supply chain, from the farm, from the mine, through the, the, the factories, through the warehouses, through the shipping, that every step of the life of the product, it's been handled in a responsible way that reflects your values. Well, what's so great about this, I mean, I think back, you know, I've been fascinated by this work for a long time. I feel like I'm always saying that, like it's like 20 plus years of being fascinated by, you know, kind of what I'll call conscious capitalism before it was, it had that moniker. Um, but what's really interesting about supply chain is even a few years ago, much less a couple of decades ago, that I, I would guess that the average company did not have any transparency, right, or visibility into anything beyond perhaps their direct vendors. So when we talk about manufacturing and any product, you just mentioned packaging, right? You have packaging, you have raw in ingredient, raw materials, you have ingredients, you have all sorts of different components that go in. And sometimes you have a direct relationship and sometimes you have many vendors who are tier providing to those vendors or so tier two, tier three. And, you know, when I was at Adidas um, uh, back in, you know, kind of 10, 15 years ago now, 
this is one of the things I was responsible for was the factory um, allocations and understanding like what levels of influence could we exert at what places on both, you know, sustainability. So water consumption and dyes and responsible material usage and everything, but also labor. So talk to me a little bit, like when you started SourceMap in 2011, why did you start it? What was that? What were the issues or concerns that you were really trying to solve for? Well, you know, this was, uh, you have to think about it as a project that came out of my research, which was in media studies. And this was a media project. And and I had, you know, been involved in sustainability. I was a product designer. I was trying to make uh, a green product that would make the world better. And every time I, I tried to look into, you know, a little bit more information, you know, should I use this material? Should I use this manufacturing technique? Should I source in this country or that country? You know, I came up against basically no data, no uh quantitative metrics that I could use to say I should definitely, you know, you should use glass uh, bottles, not stainless steel, or you should use, you know, a single use plastic here, but you should use, you know, reusable ceramic there. And, and the lack of data uh, really stemmed from uh, what I identified as a, as, a, as a media problem. And basically, you know, supply chains had been so opaque for such a long time that at the end of the day, you know, you didn't know whether you were buying something that was made in a green steel mill or in a in a dirty steel mill. You didn't know uh, really the source of the of the raw materials, where all the risks were. And so I decided to tackle it from a media perspective. And I think it's probably the only uh, supply chain software company that started out as an activist project. <laughs> Basically, I said, uh, you know, we have the internet. It, it's just this was around 2007, 2008. We just started getting access to Google Maps. Uh, we started to use social networks on a very big scale and, you know, all the excuses that, that had been in, in industry that, you know, you can't know where things come from because there are thousands of suppliers halfway around the world. Many of them don't have uh, access to sophisticated technology. And I said, hold on, but if I can watch a video on YouTube that somebody shot, you know, of what they're having for lunch in Kuala Lumpur, then I'm sure that a multinational could figure out what's going on in a farm in a factory halfway around the world. And so basically I just put together this demo of uh, using social networks, using crowdsourcing, using Google Maps to show that, you know, one day soon, all of this supply chain data would be visible. It would be uh, something that would be accessible even to the general public. And I shopped this demo around on the one hand to, you know, journalists and activists and, and uh, NGOs, and on the other hand to, to manufacturers. And you know, funny enough, the the people who gravitated the most to this demo were the manufacturers who said, "Wait a second, I, you know, we've been using legacy software that was built in the '70s, <laughs> SAP, IBM, Oracle. We have no way, you know, the databases are powerful enough to go, you know, to find the suppliers of the suppliers of the suppliers to zoom in on the map, you know, for half a million cocoa farms or, you know, Indonesian palm oil plantations. We would love that power because." Ultimately, you know, we're worried that we're not going to be able to deliver enough stuff if we don't know where it's coming from. Uh, but none of the technology that was out there before could handle it. And so I, I basically flipped from an activist into a, uh, uh, an enterprise software provider and said, we're going to use this technology. And, you know, they called my bluff. And I said, OK, you want to fix the problem? <laughs> and it, yeah, we, we've been building the tech for about 15 years now. And, and the, the long story short is, the, the there's a lot of uh, companies either because they have an impact mission or because they honestly they, they fear not knowing what they don't know about their supply chain and they've adopted uh, supply chain mapping which is what we call this process 
all the way down to the raw materials. And many of them did it years ago. And then now it's become much more widespread because of all these new laws that require due diligence in the supply chain. Well, I want to come to the regulatory pressures right now, um, uh, but I want to come back to that. I want to talk about those clients who you have. Like, there are, in fact, certain industries for whom supply chain mapping is more relevant or less relevant and the reasons why. But you are, I mean, you guys at SourceMap right now, you have Hershey's as a client, you have Mars, which, you know, many people don't know the name of, but it's like, you know, M&Ms among a million other uh, consumer products and 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 food products. You have Williams-Sonoma, you have the shoe company Vans, you have Timberland, you have a bunch of others. Like, it seems to me like there's, there's some clear industries there. But what do these people come to you for? Like, what are the specific things and why does it really matter to their business besides the regulation? Um, and 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 is there like a commitment of timeline? Like if we look to the future of this, like it, this isn't something that happens overnight, and it's not something that's a one-off. So what does you know what does what are they what are they saying? What are they coming to you for? What are they doing with it? You know, we had the very good luck right out the gate. So the company got founded in 2011. You know, within a few months, we had some really blue chip clients already uh, willing to try the technology out and see what they could discover about their supply chains. They would call it supply chain discovery, which is the process where they, you know, ask their suppliers who their suppliers are and then ask those suppliers who their suppliers are essentially like, like a LinkedIn for supply chains. <laughs> and, you know, we had early, it was, it was rough going because in 2011, no company was going to use the cloud and crowdsource data for its supply chain management. So we were a bit uh, a bit ahead of our time, but we, we were very lucky in a way that there was a, a few things that had just happened. So there was a tsunami that had just hit in Japan and it had wreaked havoc on global supply chains, but it took weeks for automakers and, and uh, computer makers to figure out exactly what had happened and why it was important to them. And so they, they funded some of the early research and they were willing to do it as kind of an innovation project outside of their uh, uh, you know, four walls. And then we had a lot of interest from the food sector. So you mentioned some of those customers uh, really, um, you know, very early on aware that there were social problems in supply chains. You know, there was a civil war in West Africa in 2013. It, it ravaged uh, cocoa production and it had a direct impact on prices. I think they doubled or tripled. Uh, there was um, all sorts of issues around child labor, forced labor. Uh, you saw uh, deforestation happening in Indonesia around palm oil, rubber, and other commodities. And so we, we saw the food industry, because it was sustainability, it fell outside of the traditional supply chain, they were allowed to use the cloud. And, you know, they asked us basically build a social network that would connect us with our, the farmers, you know, who we buy from ultimately, and, and let's figure out what's going on in these communities, what's going on in these forests, you know, where can we have the biggest impact. And, and you know, people always ask me, so why were they doing this? It was not the law. It, it, there were some risks, uh, some lawsuits, but ultimately, uh, I think there's a few things that underpin this. Um, you know, there's a trend uh, where brands that have very valuable products, very valuable brands, you know, they're, they want to protect those brands at all costs. They don't want it to come out in the press that you know, something, you know, a popular candy bar is tied to, you know, some horrible social environmental problem. Yep. They also wanted to attract really great people to work for them. And that's actually one of the unsung heroes of, of responsible sourcing, which is, you know, people want to work for companies that have good supply chains. Nobody wants to go to work in the morning and find out that they're you know, doing something horrible halfway around the world. Yeah. Um, and, and it was competitive. I mean, I think that 
you know, these companies that were willing to try new technology before any of their competitors get that visibility. You know, by the time they had installed SourceMap, they had intimate understanding of how cocoa farmers were living, how much they were making, what practices there were, what the yields were, how much fertilizer they were using. So there's a lot of knock-on effects where they have responsibility and accountability for social environmental practices in the fields, but they also have a lot more insight into you know, how's the crop doing this year exactly. and, and, and how are we going to be able to source enough stuff. Well, and and that's, I mean, that's, as you say, that's an added bonus to to getting closer to your 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 suppliers, really, and understanding. I think for anyone who's watching or listening to this who doesn't fully understand supply chain or just has some vague understanding, I think the complexity of supply chain is, I mean, even with source map, right, is so incredible because you're talking about like how, for instance, uh, civil war in West Africa can in impact the cocoa supply. Well, you're talking just about like the cocoa beans for chocolate, right? And you're just talking about starting there with the raw material. I mean, there's so many things that cocoa goes into at the end product, whether you think about on shelf, whether it's like, you know, a Hershey's, you know, uh, cooking, baking chocolate, or whether it's a candy bar, or whether it's a high-end chocolate, you know, at a patisserie in, in Paris. I mean, there are all the things that go along that, you know, value chain is what we say to get to the consumer purchase or even to the end of life cycle in certain products, especially in fashion, is, is supply chain. And there is this, you know, we're, we're calling this the future of sustainable supply chains, but there's this hype around the word sustainability now and around responsible supply chain. What are the elements? I mean, you talked about labor and I want to, I want to be able to dive into that. There's deforestation we've talked about. So let's talk about what are the elements that you're able through source map that you think that we're tracking and tracing that will make this sustainable supply chain of the future. Great question. Uh, so, you know, so there's a few things. So laying the groundwork now, what you said is totally accurate. Like, so even a simple product, you think uh, something you buy for a dollar, $2, a candy bar, uh, or a t-shirt, you know, it, it, it actually most likely has thousands of suppliers all around the world, uh, just contributing to that. And, and that's not even getting into, you know, computers, automobiles, airplanes, where you, you could have millions of suppliers. And so, you know, the very first thing is to say, okay, where is the risk in my supply chain? And you know, the, traditionally, you would go to uh, NGOs, you would get audits conducted, you would go to certifiers, but they could effectively only visit so many people, audit so many things, measure, you know, once a year, and, and a lot fell through the cracks, let alone the fact that, you know, we're working with a big food company, they're going to have a quarter million hazelnut farmers, or a half a million cocoa farmers, all contributing into the, the tens of thousands of tons that they buy. Uh, so, wrapping your head around that uh, effectively companies go in and they say okay where's my risk and inevitably the risk is at the what we call the first mile which is either that that farm or that mine mm -hmm. it's the place that's most likely that there's no electricity there's no internet there's no audit uh there may not be schools or, or water pumps or health clinics and, and, and where so people are getting paid the least in the supply chain as well right almost always right yeah. and so we said okay you got to go to the raw material and then work your way back and inevitably the raw material, the risks are higher, but also the accountability is less because there's maybe less infrastructure, maybe less government oversight, maybe less technology. And, and that's essentially 
you know, what, what we've landed on as the most effective tool. And most of our customers, if you look at, we're heavy into apparel, footwear, uh, food, flavorings, but also now cosmetics, also now pharmaceuticals. A anytime a company goes down this road, they will say the problems are there. What are the problems? Yes, uh, you have uh, land use issues like deforestation, uh, you know, endangering habitats, biodiversity, uh, water use. And then you have all of the social issues, which have really taken, um, you know, a much more important position ever since the, the, the U.S. enforcement of the, the ban on products of forced labor. So you have extreme poverty, you have child labor, forced labor, traffic labor, and all sorts of associated issues, you know, that basically you know, have a context in which, you know, there's no schools, it's very unlikely the kids are going to school. If there's no health clinics, no water pumps, it's very unlikely that women can give birth safely. So issues like that. So there's a, there's a whole world of issues in those very um, under, let's say, underserved, but also under accounted for first mile parts of the supply chain. And that's where we focus because that's where the biggest benefits can be had. I mean, it doesn't take a lot to hmm. really raise those standards. Yeah. And then we usually work downstream. It's true that there are issues in factories. There's issues in, in uh, uh, shipping. There's issues in automated environments and warehousing. Uh, but those are usually secondary to that those first mile issues. Um Thank you for shedding light on that. We, we, we do want to come to, and we don't have a huge amount of time, but just talk about the regulation. Um, you know, we always try to do these in 20 minutes on these huge topics that, you know, but that's, that's the model. So, um, you know, as I think about uh, regulation, I mean, there is California passed a supply chain transparency act, which was quite profound, although it only is for companies that have presence in California and a hundred million or more. In, in, in annual revenues. So it's a little bit limited. And it, as you said, it's, it's really focused on forced labor issues. Um, there is hopefully pending, um, uh, you know, in the fashion and apparel industry, some regulation. The EU has bits and pieces all over and something pending. But Congress actually just passed something at a federal level in, in June of this year, which is really, I mean, exciting, but also, pro, you know, kind of probing that Chinese beast of like forced labor coming out of like the Uyghurs in, in northern China. I mean, that is obviously a very, very big concern um, and and a very important geopolitical issue. It's not only a, you know, a, a sourcing supply chain concern. I mean, some of these things that you're touching on, as you said, have governance lack. And then we are trying to get other company, other countries to step in and enforce company regulation for things that other countries aren't taking care of. I mean, there is a real impact of responsibility and accountability that your business and other businesses like yours are undertaking. I mean, is that really kind of the mission here is to clean the world up for the better? Or is there, you know, what what is what is kind of that future vision that you have of, of sustainable supply chains? Absolutely. I mean, look, at SourceMap, our mission is to raise uh, standards of living across supply chains from the first mile to the last. So, so you nailed it. I mean, it's, uh, look, I think consumers are fed up with the idea that, you know, you're buying something, uh, you know, in a country that has certain uh, regulations and standards and enforcement, but it could be made in another country that has none of those. And so you're buying something that could be contributing to, you know, the exact opposite uh, social or environmental conditions that, than those you vote for and support and pay for. So uh, yeah, people are fed up. And the, the interesting thing was uh, last year, I was able to testify to the Senate uh, Finance Committee 
uh, and I was actually asked to testify by you know, industry. I was actually uh, a witness on the Republican side uh, because government is also fed up with it. And so are responsible companies because nobody wants to compete with someone who is able to use forced labor right. uh, or, you know, or, or not even know what kind of labor they're using uh, because then, you, you know, you're at a huge disadvantage on the, on the marketplace. And so the, these new laws, I mean, effectively what's radically, you know, we, people always said Europe had tougher standards than the U.S. when it came to environmental regulations. And that may have been the case, but with the U.S. ban on products of forced labor actually being enforced, the U.S. became far and away the leader in terms of supply chain due diligence, as it's called, this mm-hmm. accountability. And they said, look, it's not enough that you ask your suppliers to sign a code of conduct that says we won't use forced labor. It's not enough that you you know, sponsor NGOs or you get some audits. You need to prove to us, to, to the U.S. government, that every shipment that comes into the country has a chain of custody that's believable and that goes back to you know every stop along the way from the farm to, to the U.S. has been uh, monitored and it is not you know contributing to these horrible practices such as forced labor and obviously this this uh, Uyghur uh, forced labor prevention act that just started being enforced in June is the culmination of that but what's really amazing there is they said look it's 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 not enough to want to do good you need to prove to us that nobody along the chain was a bad actor who tried to inject products that were made unethically into the supply chain and by account by creating the the requirement to map and trace all of these uh, products, you're actually rooting out way more of the of the bad actors from the supply chain. And Europe has now basically followed suit and is asking for traceability in order to get products into the EU starting next year. Um, that was a very, very helpful oversight. So I, I obviously, I know you're an expert. I mean, it's it's fascinating to me that you did your undergrad at Columbia and in, in architecture and sculpture and got a master's in MIT in architecture. Um, the way things are built, and then went on to the media lab and 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 followed up with your master's and PhD. Um, but it is fascinating because it is about the way that things are built and interconnected and interdependent. Um, so I, I I see a little bit of a red thread there, Leo. Um, I want to close with one question that um, you guys have this provocation out there in the world as source map saying that one day soon you'll be able to scan a product on a store shelf and be connected to the people who made it through the source map social network. Talk to me for a minute about how that works and what the value you see for both the consumer and the laborer. You know, it, it's uh, it was the original uh, vision, right? Before even the iPhone came out, and before QR codes, which we've all grown to hate at this point, uh, where, where you know there was essentially with a product, no matter the the kind of product, there was an infinite capacity to to have data about that product, and and to then be connect, use that data for positive things, which is for us, which meant transparency that would lead to verifiable. Uh, positive social and environmental practices every step of the supply chain. And, and it was a provocation that we said, you know, consumers will one day expect this. And either as a brand, you're going to provide it proactively, use it uh, as part of your mission and, and your brand to, to gain trust and to gain consumers, or you're going to be caught on your back heels responding to requirements, unable to fully eliminate the risks because you didn't take care to uh, talk to your whole supply chain, monitor it, and improve it ahead of time. And that's exactly where, you know, I think this is all going to go. So it's it's not that you know governments will create a, a standard and 
everyone is going to check the box and be you know, a little bit better or a little bit worse than the standard. It's not that, um, you know, we're going to rely on an eco label that says, you know, this is a good product or this is a bad product. It's that brands are going to be competing with each other for better supply chains. And, you know, you've seen it already, right? Corporate social responsibility is really being replaced by impact. Like companies want impact. They pick issues that matter to their consumers and they go proactively to do better than their competition. I think that's the path forward. Uh, and, and to use that in the marketing and in, in the product placement and in the connections you build with consumers, you know, we're, you're going to see some products launching in the fall with a source map traceability in new sectors that have never had that before, like, like the luxury industry and the uh, cosmetics industry. And, and I think you're going to see one by one, all of these brands really come up with their own ways to uh, provide that transparency, provide that traceability which essentially means to consumers like, yes, you can trust us. And if you don't trust us, you can even verify because we give you the data on where the stuff came from and what are the programs that we put in place. And, and you know, I think we're going to become uh, conscious consumers. We may not have to do the scan because if you look for a company and they've already published their supply chain on SourceMap, you can be sure that they're doing better. They're walking the walk. And yeah, and that they're willing to have you and anyone else you know, wander around those factories and check it out for themselves. Yeah. So it's really above and beyond. It's it's fantastic. I have to say it we've we've all come a very, very long way in a very reasonably short time. Um uh and it, and it's high time. So thank you for the work you're doing at Source Map. It's super interesting. You know I love it. Um and thanks for joining us on Future of XYZ today. Thanks for having me. Um, and everyone listening, uh, if you like this conversation about the future of sustainable supply chains with Leo, uh, make sure that you check out their website at sourcemap.com. Also, be sure to follow and subscribe to Future of XYZ anywhere you get your favorite podcasts on YouTube, as well as on Instagram. And we will look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks again, Leo. Have a great one. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to The Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.